Acts 7, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. A couple Sundays ago, uh, if you weren't here, I do encourage you to maybe uh, listen to the sermon. Uh, we made a very important statement that our purpose in life, that the reason why God put us on this planet is to establish God's kingdom here on earth, that God wants you and I to participate in one of the greatest adventures of all, and that is to be a kingdom builder. And what we do in South Africa is really an opportunity for us to establish and build God's kingdom here on earth. And building God's kingdom is simply you and I embracing and experiencing God's love in such a deep way. It's one of the most beautiful things and opportunities that we have as followers of God, that we can connect with God through the person of Jesus Christ in that way, experience God's forgiveness and his mercy. And it's not something that we just hold for our own. It's not something that we just keep for ourselves because that would be a horrible thing to take something that precious and that amazing and to keep it just for ourselves and not share it with the world. We become kingdom builders when we release the love that God has poured into us, when we release the grace and the mercy that God has poured into our lives, into the lives of other people. And that's how we establish this kingdom of heaven here on earth. So God today gives you a challenge. Will you be a kingdom builder? Will you establish God's kingdom here on earth? But here's the problem. The problem is that for a lot of us, if you're anything like me, it's really hard to build God's kingdom when we're trying to build our own for ourselves. And sometimes we work so hard to establish our kingdom. And as we do that, we enter into sort of a destructive path of life because God didn't put us on this earth so that we can just build our own kingdom. He put us on this earth so that we can build his kingdom. And one of the ways in how we fall into a trap like that and how we want to establish our own kingdom here on earth is when we struggle with this sin of idolatry. Idolatry is the very first commandment of the 10. It says, you shall have no other gods before us in the 10 commandments. It's that important to God. It is single-handedly the most important thing in the Old Testament. God talks more about idolatry than anything else in the Old Testament. Idolatry is a big thing. When you define the word idolatry or idolatry in the Bible, it simply is deeming something to be more valuable, more important than God. That is what idolatry is. And, if, and I struggle with idolatry every day. And I think all of us in this room, we can say that we struggle with idolatry. In fact, Americans, really, what we're really good at is that we love to idolize different things, whether it be people, whether it be certain things, whether it be certain sports teams that we like. We are an idolatrous generation. We are an idolatrous type types of people. We find things that are more important to us or we deem more valuable than God himself. And when we participate in that kind of idolatry, what begins to happen is that it, it warps our understanding of why God placed us on this earth. And our view of life becomes so myopic that we begin to convince ourselves that that's all that there is to life. And it's no wonder why there's so many times we ebb and flow and we struggle and believe that that there's really nothing more to experience than just really the myopic life in which we've chosen to live by. But if you would just open yourself up today, and if you can identify maybe perhaps what some of those idols that you might be struggling with are today, I believe that God could open up your minds and, and, and fill you with what he's purposed for your life and my life. And that is to be a kingdom builder. We see that in the, in the book of Acts. In fact, we've been covering, we're on chapter seven now, 
And we see that the apostles and the people of God, that they understand the depth of the calling that God has placed upon their lives. And that is to be this kingdom builder, that as they intake God's love and they experience his grace and his mercy, that they just kind of overflow that and they sort of become an outpouring of that love and that grace and mercy and justice to other people. And that's really how God wants you and I to establish his kingdom today. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to continue in Acts chapter 7. It's a very long chapter, so we're actually dedicating three weeks to it. We're going to kind of hit the middle part here. Remember last Sunday, um, Pastor David took us to Stephen's defense. Now, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin Council, which is a Supreme Court in Jerusalem, and there are some serious charges that are brought to him. And in this, what we're going to identify is we're going to identify the greatest sins that the people of God struggle with throughout time. And it was the sin of idolatry. And through that, we're going to learn how we can be delivered or how we can lay down our idols today at the altar so that we can embrace the very calling that God has placed upon your life and my life, and that is to establish his kingdom here on earth, to give people a taste of what heaven is going to be like. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 20 to 43. Acts 7, verses 20 to 43. Again, it's how do we become this kingdom builder by laying down our idols, right? How do we lay down our idols? What we're going to talk about today. Verse 20. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughters took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged them by killing the Egyptians. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am, God, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors, and this is key here, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. 
As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to worship of the sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Repham, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, this is key, therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. That's the word of God. Can we bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Lord, I pray that you would really show us today what Stephen was really trying to get at as he shared this with the Sanhedrin Council, a group of men who were supposed to be deeply spiritual and people who loved you. I pray, God, that Stephen's words would become your words to us and that we would hear from him. And God, that you would help us to identify some idols in our lives. And most of all, God, that you would help us and teach us how we can lay it down before you. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right, now, so Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin Council, and there are two really serious charges that were brought against them. All right, in the Jewish faith, you could say that these charges were quite criminal. Stephen first made the accusation that the temple was no longer necessary because of Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying. He was was making that very bold statement. In fact, he was even going deeper to saying that Jerusalem wasn't the only place where God dwelt. And he did that by simply sort of sharing with them the story of Moses. He said the burning bush was testament, was proof that God's presence was so powerful in just a random desert. God didn't need a temple where his presence would be dwelt, where Moses had to go to, to hear from God. No, God met him in the burning bush. In fact, the place was so holy that God told him to take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And so here is Stephen making this statement and saying that the temple is not the only place where God's presence dwelt. This is where, what a typical first century Jew would contend. They would make the statement and believe that the temple was the only place where God's presence dwelt in. In fact, when God was with Moses in, on Mount Sinai, speaking the very commandments that we know to be the Ten Commandments, Moses saying God spoke to him there as well. Furthermore, he goes deeper into saying that God spoke to uh, Abraham in Mesopotamia, not in Jerusalem. He spoke to Abraham in Haran. We saw that in verses 2 to 4, right? He blessed Joseph where? In Egypt. He spoke to Moses, of course, in the desert and, of course, on Sinai, right? He worked so powerfully in Egypt by letting his people go. He parted the Red Sea. It was miraculous to see what God was doing there. And also God provided for the people of God in the desert. And so really what Stephen was saying was something really powerful. He was saying the presence of God is not confined to the geographic land or to any material building that was made by human hands because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, he's now died and resurrected from the dead. The presence of God is everywhere. In fact, theologically, the presence of God is living right inside of us in our hearts. Somebody say amen to that. The second criminal sort of, or the second offense that was being charged by Stephen is that he also contended that the Mosaic laws were not significant anymore. 
And in many ways, people were saying that he was rejecting the Mosaic laws. And Stephen is such a genius here. And this is why he spent so much time talking about Moses. I mean, verses 20 to 43, it's all focused on Moses because he was being charged that the Mosaic laws are no longer significant. They were saying that he's rejecting the Mosaic laws. And what Stephen does here is genius. Because if you, read that ver- if you read those verses again, Stephen is contending that it's not him that rejected Moses, it's the people of God who's rejecting Moses. In fact, they have had a history where God had sent people into their lives, prophets, when they have sort of thwarted away or they have sort of, sort of gone to a different route and not pursued God anymore, that God would send prophets before them, and yet they rejected the prophets. And so Moses is saying, you think I'm rejecting Moses? You guys reject him. You've had a history. In fact, the people of God have a history of rejecting prophets and rejecting God. And he climaxes that into this this sin that the people of God struggle with, and it's the sin of idolatry. It's the sin of idolatry. You see, the Mosaic laws were not able to help the people of God or protect the people of God from the sin of idolatry. They still struggle with it. It was the greatest sin that the people of God struggle with throughout history. And I would simply say probably, it's probably the greatest sin that you and I struggle with, even till this day, is our own sins of idolatry. And so let's just look at verse 39 again. Look at what what Stephen says here. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, We don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in with what their own hands have made. Interesting, huh? Idolatry is oftentimes when we revel in what man or what women can make with their own hands. But God turned away from them and gave them over to worship of sun, moon, and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel, you have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of the god of Rephaim, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. An idol, again, is anything that is more important or something that you deem to be, that has greater value than God. And for the people of God, while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, an invisible presence of God was not enough for them. It wasn't. They craved to see some kind of God that was visible and where you could touch something physical. And that's why they asked Aaron to go and make this golden calf out of all the gold jewelry that the people of God brought before him. And they did this. They built, they made this golden calf and they worshiped it. And if you know anything about the story, Moses comes back down from Sinai. He sees it. He flips out and he throws the the tablets onto the ground and it's broken. He spent 40 days fasting and praying God had spoken to him. But that idol worship wasn't just something that Moses was upset about, but it was the indignation of God when he saw what the people were doing. Israel has a long history of falling in love with idols where God has to send one prophet after another. And when Israel rejected them all, God brought them into what? Into exile. Exile was a result of their sin. And they brought them into exile. What happened was is that they no longer had a place to live. And so Babylon overtook them, oppressed the people of God in a very deep 
and deep and horrible way. And they experienced that because of their sin of idolatry. The great thing about us as Christians, the most powerful theological truth about Christians is that God no longer will bring us into exile for our own lack of worshiping him, for, for our idolatrous kind of ways. Because of Jesus Christ, and this is why Advent is so key. This is why Jesus coming into this world on Christmas Day and him dying for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead is so revolutionary because God no longer will bring his people out of exile because Christ has died for your sins and my sins. Amen? He has truly died for your sins and my sins. So because he's died for your sins and my sins, we no longer will experience that level of exile. And that's why you and I could rejoice. That's why the cross is revolutionary. That's why Stephen is saying the temple is no longer needed because Christ has resurrected. That's why he's saying even the Mosaic laws aren't as significant as you guys are contending them to be because Christ Jesus has resurrected. We have the presence of God within us. So sin, when you and I sin, it isn't, it isn't sort of uh, us feeling sort of an immoral kind of a presence about ourselves. That's not what sin is. Sometimes we think sin is a list of immoral things that you and I participate in. That's really not what you and I, or how you and I should look at sin. The word sin in the Greek, the word is harmartia, and that word literally means missing the mark. Have you ever missed the mark? Have you ever, like, tried to shoot a bow and arrow, and you missed the mark, right? Just recently, my wife is really publicizing this in my family. I cannot hit a ping pong ball with a wiffle ball bat. I miss it all. I, I, I've tried, I've tried dozens and dozens of times, and so I've become the laughingstock of my family. Every time they come over, she goes, let's go downstairs and see if Peter can hit a ping pong ball with a wiffle ball bat, and I whiff. I miss the mark every time. That's what sin is. Sin is when you and I miss the mark, right? In Romans chapter 3, verse 5, uh, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, and we've all fall short of the glory of God. That's the reality of it, right? Sin is about us literally missing the mark. It isn't about us not doing certain lists of things that God wants us to do, but it's about us missing the mark. So then the question is, what's the mark? What's the mark? It's uh, for us being a kingdom builder. You see, God is never more glorified when you and I are willing to establish and build his kingdom here on earth. And so when you and I sin, get this, theologically, it isn't us being this immoral person. When we sin, what we're doing is we're missing the mark of being a kingdom builder. And that's what God had to send Jesus Christ because the people of God were missing the mark all the time. And because Jesus Christ has died for us and resurrected from the dead, there is a way out now of this. God had to send Jesus Christ to do this. We now have hope. And you and I today, we can continue to live our lives where we can be a kingdom builder. And so idolatry, when we have idols in our lives, what we're doing is we're participating in a sin because we are deeming those things to be more important and valuable than God. And here's the deadly thing about this. When our idols... They're not necessarily bad things, but what we do, and they become sin in our lives because we end up giving them a power and authority over our lives that they were never intended to have. That's why idolatry is so destructive. It's because we hand over to them power and authority you and I will never, never, that they were never supposed to have. All right, uh, Paul talks a little bit about this in Colossians chapter three, verse five. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, all right? Uh, let's talk a little bit about greed. One of the biggest idols of our culture today is money, 
We idolize money. We, we, we value money so much that it's become more valuable to us than God. If we're just honest, it, it was the same stuff that people of God struggle with. It's the same stuff that you and I struggle with. For a lot of us, we find so much hope and joy and, and, we, find, and we think money, the more we have it, the better it's going to be for us. And so for a lot of us, money has become more important than God. And this is one of the reasons why God has given us the spiritual practice of tithing. That when you and I tithe, what he's doing is trying to protect us so that money does not become idolatrous for us. That we don't see it to become more important than God and God himself. All right? And so money's a big thing. Is that an idol that perhaps maybe you struggle with? Sex. Oh, we don't have to really talk much about this. I don't got to convince you to make you to believe today that sex has become an, an idol form within our culture today. Sex is a gift. God created sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. He created it so that we can experience it and we can practice it within the confines of marriage with a person whom we love and we care for. But sex today has become this recreational activity that we practice even outside of our marriage with other people. And when we're single and when we're young, we just practice it like it's nothing, like it's just this recreational activity. It's a dangerous place for us to be. Relationships, some of our relationships is idolatrous. It's more important to us than God. Our family members, our children, you name it, right? And sometimes because the holiday season, if you're single sometimes, you long to have that relationship with that someone special in your life. And I get it, but sometimes that can become this idolatry, uh, an, an idol in our own lives when we want to have sort of a boyfriend or a girlfriend and eventually a husband and a wife. And we sort of idolize relationships and we got to be careful for, with that. Because when you begin to idolize relationships in your life, there's no way you can really love those people well. The only way you can love people well is when you experience God's love and his grace so that you can release it to other people. Right? That's a key component to it. Right? It's a key component to it. Power, success is another form of idolatry today. What are the idols that you struggle with today in your life? What are the things in your life that's become more important to you than God himself, that you consider to be more valuable than God himself. Our idols will stop being demons to us, Metro, when they no longer become gods to us. Our idols are oftentimes these demons that terrorize our lives in such a way, and if you want them to stop being demons in your life, you have to allow them not to be gods to you. And we have to lay them down in that way. I struggle with idolatry. It's something that I think all of us do, but I've struggled with it so much. And it's so, it's so funny because I think idols are not bad things. They're good things. But it's kind of like fire. Fire is good. You can use fire to cook. Fire can warm you up in the winter times. Fire is a beautiful thing. But when fire goes out of control, what happens? It destroys, like the California wildfires. I mean, it was just so destructive to see what those fires can do when they're not contained. And that's kind of like what our idols are. And for us, we could even take something, all things that we sort of idolize are not bad things necessarily. But when they become out of control in our lives, they do destroy us. And for me, um, for me, I wanted to build God's kingdom by starting this church 14 years ago. I that was my goal. God gave me the vision to plant this church. I came back here back in 2004, and we started this church with a handful of little people that we started with. And there was a sense where for me, I wanted this church to just grow exponentially in numbers and in size and just to be this big congregation. It was something that I truly longed for because I wanted to expand God's kingdom. I, and what I would tell people, I would say my rhetoric was because more people need to come to know Jesus Christ. 
Deep down inside, what I wanted was I wanted a mega, mega, mega church. I, I dreamed that we would have services in Giants Stadium. I dreamed about that. I thought we could totally do it. All right, this is even before I even came out to start this church. There was a sense of grandiosity that became such a big thing for me. And about year six, some of you know the story, I got so burnt out and so tired, I almost lost myself, I almost lost my wife, I almost lost my family, and I almost lost this church because I was so burnt out, I was thinking about quitting. And when I went on the sabbatical that my elders told me I had to go on, I started thinking of processing and I read a book that changed my life, which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You know the story. And while I was reading that book, I realized that my idol was my lack of emotional health. My idol was my insecurity, that how I longed for the affirmation of other people. I wanted to be this great pastor. I wanted people to think of me and see me as this great pastor. So I, I was longing for their applause. I was longing for their approval. And the only way I thought I can get their approval is if I became this church of a very, if I became a pastor of a church that was very large. And that only almost destroyed me. It literally almost destroyed me. But in God's sovereignty, thank God he didn't bring me into exile because of Jesus Christ. And as I came back, it's amazing to see what God does, that he, he will take even some of our messed up sort of idols in our life and he can redeem them. And I think Metro is an amazing church. Amen? Amen. It's an amazing congregation of people that God is. Yeah, give yourselves a clap offering on that one. That God can still take some of the things that I've struggled with in my own idolatrous ways, and then I've struggled with these things, and how we can still breathe life and redeem it if I can just repent and lay it down. And so how do we lay down our idols today? How do you lay down your idols, and how do I lay down my idols? It's just one thing and one thing only, and then I'm really done. I got one point today, and then a couple of things that's going to help us. The only way where you and I can lay down our idols today is when we worship God. That's it. It's when we worship God, all right? In the Bible, sin is a failure to worship God. If you are not worshiping God, I guarantee you, you are worshiping something else. And whatever that something else is, it's your idol. It's your idol. Some of us could be worshiping youth. You know, we love to be young. And you, you know, there are 30-year-olds that I talk to in this church. And, they, and they're like, I'm so old. I'm like, how dare you insult us, 40s, mid-40s people, and think you're old. And they'll say, I wish I was 20 again. I wish I was in my late teens. You're 30. You're, you're not that old yet. It's the prime of life, right? 40s, I mean, I get when you're in your 40s, you think about that. I'm going to be 45 next year. I thought about it a couple of weeks ago. I thought, that's pretty old. No offense if anyone's older than 45. 50s, 60s, we dream about being young again. I think youthfulness has become an idol in our culture today. People get plastic surgery all the time so that they can look younger. I get it. I understand it. But don't idolize youth. Listen, youth is overrated. There is something beautiful about growing old. Amen, old people? Come on now. You young people, you got, you got nothing on us. We got experience. All right, we are more secure in who we are. We don't have the kind of ego that you have. Life is much more peaceful when you get older. I would never, you couldn't pay me to go back to my 20s. I was a wreck back then. I would never want to go back then to there. But what are your idols? Worshiping God is laying down, because when you worship God, you are, you are saying to God that he is the greatest. 
that there is no, no one more important to you or there is nothing more valuable to you than God himself. I love N.T. Wright's definition of worship. He says this, worship is gazing with delight, gratitude, and love at the creator God and expressing our praise in wise, articulate speech. Worship is gazing with delight, gratitude, and love at the creator God and expressing our praise in wise, articulate speech. And if I can just add a little hyphen there, and action. You speak worship with your mouth, but you also worship God with your actions as well. Do you find delight in God? Does he bring a smile to your face? Oh, I hope he does. I hope he does. Even in difficult times, I hope he does. One of my mentors, Peace Cazero, who wrote Emotional Healthy Spirituality, is, has become one of my spiritual mentors. And I shared with him something that I was going through. He's like, send me an email about maybe two of the biggest challenges that you're going to face in 2019. I sent it to him. And uh, you know what he said to me? He said, you know, God wants you to suffer, Peter. He wants you to find joy in your pain. So the challenges that you share with me, they're not going to get better. They're going to get worse. But God wants you to find joy in your pain. I, man, I was like, man, that's like one of the worst advice I ever got. <laughs> you would hope somebody would say, you know what, don't worry, just trust God, he's going to see you through it. But he just said to me, God wants you to be in pain. He wants you to suffer. And if you can learn to delight in him while you're suffering, you got it. It's the secret to the Christian life. That when you can delight in God, when your world has fallen apart, it's the true essence of what it means to follow Jesus. It's how you worship him. It's how you worship him. Gazing with delight, with gratitude and love at the creator and expressing our praise in wise, articulate speech and action. It's not just gazing at the good things he's doing for you, but gazing at God, God, God himself. How do you worship God like that? How do you, it's really up to you how you figure that out, because I think everyone's different, but what's really helped me over the years, and these are biblical things, I'm gonna sum it up with these four S's, all right? I'm gonna go through it really quick, four S's, all right? This is how we can worship God and lay down our idols. Because as you worship God, what you're doing is you're laying down your idols. The first S is singing in the church. All right? I love, I personally love coming here, worshiping with you guys and gals. It is one of the joys of my life that I get to sing to God and worship him with some of these amazing songs that we get to sing in that way. It is one of the joys that I experience because when I do that and I sense the presence of God, I know that there's nothing greater than what I'm doing. There's nothing greater than God and God himself. And so singing in the church helps me. Our worship team works so hard every Sunday to prepare a great worship set so that you can come and experience God's presence in such a way where you can just lay your idols down at the altar and you would know that there's nothing more important and more valuable in your life than God and God himself. And so that as we experience that, that we can sing it and declare it to our God in that way. Singing in the church. Get here early. Prepare your hearts. Worship God in that way. Listen, none of you need to be taught how to worship God because you know how to worship God. Well, maybe you don't know how to worship God, but you know how to worship other things. I saw a Philadelphia Eagles game last Sunday. It was cold in Philly. 
And again, this guy was painted all green. He was half naked, cold, yelling and screaming and worshiping this football team. We know how to worship, but it's worshiping God that you have to build that discipline with. And when you do that, it's a great way to lay down your idols. The second S, sorry, singing in the church. Second is serving in the church. This church, I know the church gets a bad rap. I know there's a lot of things that clergy has done, and that is horrible. There's no excuse. But please understand that they will stand before God one day, and God would judge them. It doesn't nullify the church. Because in the Bible, you can't get away from it. In the New Testament, Paul says, Jesus is the what? Head of the church. And who's the body? You and me. The church is the greatest place where God's kingdom is established. It's the place where God's kingdom is established, where people can come and experience and taste a little bit of what heaven is going to be like. And so God wants you and I to participate and serve in the church. There are so many different ministries that we can be a part of. And as you participate in that, what you're doing is you're serving and establishing God's kingdom. Our setup team came early in the morning at 7 o'clock to set this place up. And, you know, we try to remind them every week that you're not just setting up speakers and different things like that in chairs. What you're doing is you're establishing, you're building the very kingdom of God. That's why they get up at seven in the, or 6 in the morning and get here by 7. So serving in the church is such a key part. Singing in the church, serving in the church. The sec- third S, Sabbath. Sabbath. I think most of us in this room, we struggle with Sabbath. Sabbath is taking a full day of rest from your full-time vocation. That's what, what Sabbath is, is taking a break or taking a rest, a 24-hour period from your full-time vocation, meaning you don't open up your emails, you don't do emailing, you know, you don't look on social media, if a lot of people at your work are on social media, it's a lot of different things, but it's really unplugging and connecting with God, and Sabbath is not about you resting and doing nothing and sleeping, because some of you are thinking that's boring, no, Sabbath is about you delighting in God, doing things that bring you joy. Do you know that we live in a culture today where we don't enjoy things. We don't even know, like I, sometimes I talk to some of you and I was like, what do you do for fun? I don't know. I have no idea. You don't have any idea because you don't ever have fun. You got to go and have some fun. Do things that delight, meaning what's good fun? Because that's bad fun, right? That makes you miserable after you have that kind of fun. What's the good? The good fun is like, it just builds your soul. Find what those might be. And go for it and do it. Go on vacations, right? One of our pastors likes to go watch movies on a Sabbath. Nothing wrong with that. If it builds your soul, go for it. Go watch a movie, right? There's some really inspiring movies out there. As I get older, I start to cry at movies a lot. It's not even that sad. But if it's inspirational, I start tearing. It just builds my soul somehow. It comforts me, right? And so find out things that you delight in and go for it. And you see, people who really take a Sabbath, you know what they're so good at? They know that God's got the world in the palm of their hands. They trust that God can handle their life while they rest, that God is in control, that they entrust their lives under God and say, God, I'm going to rest for this day, and I'm going to trust that you're going to be able to not make my world go chaotic while I'm resting and delighting in you. And those who Sabbath and who really take a Sabbath, it's really the only way where God could minister to you. And when we don't take a Sabbath, you're not letting God minister to you. Why wouldn't you let God minister to you? A 
24-hour period where you can rest. Now, if you're a full-time mom, that's a tall order and that's really difficult. I get it. I hope if you're married that you can ask your husband to figure out a way where he can give you a good chunk of time where you can go out, go out with your girlfriends, go get some breakfast on a Saturday or some brunch and just do life together. Whatever it is that fills you, you got to figure out a way to detach from your vocation, whatever it might be. And thank God if you're a mother, you're not going to have to be, uh, your kid's not going to be that dependent upon you for the rest of their lives. Let's hope. Let's hope, okay? Let's hope. Because I got some neighbors where their kids are in their 30s and they're still living with them. But let's hope. Let's hope, right? Um, Finding ways to delight in God. The Bible makes it very clear that when you don't take a Sabbath, you're committing a sin because you don't trust that God can handle your world. And perhaps maybe you believe you're God so that you cannot lay down what you're working on for the day because you don't think that God can handle it. He can. Sabbath, all right, Sabbath. And the very last S, it's hard. Surrender to God's will, not your will. Stephen is before the Sanhedrin council and he can say some things perhaps maybe to get him off. You're going to see what happens to him in two weeks. He doesn't get off. But he submits himself and says, God, not my will be done, but may your will be done. Could you imagine what would happen if you started praying like that? Could you imagine what would happen if you started praying, God, um, I need you to do certain things for me, but not my will be done, God, but may your will be done. Boy, that's laying down your idols. That's not an easy prayer to pray. My daughter is applying, and she's applied to eight colleges. She wants to get accepted to all of them because it would make her feel better. I was like, well, that's, that's, that's good. I guess, you know, it, yeah, you don't want to get rejected. But I said to her, I said, honey, can you just pray that God's will be done in you selecting which college he wants you to go to rather than which one you want to go to? You see, our lives would be completely transformed if we went to God with that kind of posture. God, not my will be done, but may your will be done. And please understand that God's will may not be the way you want it to go. It may end very differently than what you thought, but I guarantee you, it's the best way. And kingdom builders are people who surrender their wills to the Father and say, God, may your will be done in my life, not my will be done. Singing, serving, Sabbathing, and surrendering. One of the best ways in how you can worship God by laying down your idols. This week we had a consultant come to our church and he kind of looked at some things and uh, just wanted to kind of, I want him to kind of look at where we're going and, and we're trying to build a building one day. We're trying to get Liberty School. We're praying through all that. We had a mere meeting with the mayor on Thursday. There's a long way to go, but I'm just so grateful that we have a relationship with the mayor of the city and he's trying to help us with this. But this consultant was so good that he sat down, he came, looked at the school on a, I think on a Wednesday, did a whole tour of Greco, did a tour of Liberty School, did just assessments, sat down, and he said, okay, so your church is about this size, but it needs to get bigger, Peter, if you guys want to be able to afford a 40 to 60,000 square foot building I said, well, you know, trust in God. God will provide. 
And you know, he's more of a business guy, so he just said, um, but there's things you can do. And he said, why don't you use that gym next door? Because your second service is really full from what everyone's telling me. And I said, yeah, but there's no parking. And then Kevin says, you know what? You know what I've realized? I recently found that there are 50 parking spaces at the other side of the football field that's easily walkable for our people. I was like, what? 50 parking spaces? We drove there. We looked at it. I couldn't believe how many parking spaces are there. And he said, you got you to gotta expand. You got to grow into the building which you're going to get into one day. And you need, in his word, you need more capital. But for me, I didn't want to do that because for me, that whole thing with numbers, remember I shared with you, was such an idol in my life that I just laid it down. And so for the past five years, we've stayed static, like numerically, because we really can't fit more people in our second service. It's really the full service. Our children's ministry has grown, which has been great. Our youth ministry has grown, which has really helped. But in terms of our adult size, we're about 550, 500, 550 every Sunday. We really can't get bigger than that because there's just no space. When a church is 70% capacity, it will cease to grow. That's what church experts say. So when you're at 70% capacity, you gotta actually move, get to a bigger space, or do something about it. But you shouldn't just stay static, because if you do that, you're gonna stun your growth. And so we've done that for the past five years, because we've stunned our growth for the past five years. And he was saying, you gotta do this for the future of your church. And that kind of brought a lot of joy into my heart a little bit. I said, oh, well, there's a deeper purpose for this. And so we got to look into that. We don't know if that's going to happen. We got to look into it. But one of the things that God has um, been encouraging me with, uh, not encouraging, but challenging me with at the beginning of the year was this challenge of, Peter, will you hold Metro Community Church with loose hands? Meaning, will you let go because you're holding on so tight? Will you let it go? I know what that meant. And I didn't answer that question quickly. It took me a while. Because what God was essentially saying to me is simply this, Peter, will you let my will be done in your life? And if I called you to leave Metro, would you leave it? So that my will can be done, not yours. And so there's the battle. I said, no, 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 but God, I mean, where would I go? I would never want to pastor another church but Metro. Seriously, I'm being honest. I would never want to pastor another church but this church. This would hopefully be my first and my last. I said, I don't ever want to do that. And I said, plus, where would I go? I have no idea. And, and there was this battle brewing within my soul. And it was, this was at the beginning of the year. saying, will you just let go? And I just said, you know, I don't, I don't think people in the church would want me to leave. Right? You would want me to stay here, right? I hope. Yes? No? Yes? Okay. So God, the universe has spoken, right? <laughs> the universe has spoken. And he really challenged me this year. Loose hands. Because maybe this church has become your idol. Maybe it's more important to you than me. And in my own struggle, shared with a lot of my deep friends in tears, I've had to release and say, God, I will hold it with loose hands. Not my will be done, but yours. Now listen, God didn't tell me to leave, so please don't, don't get any weird idea. Don't be putting stuff on Facebook or Twitter, all right? 
but it's laying down something that I love so much. I love this church. I love you guys. You guys are amazing. You guys make this church so beautiful. You really do. I love it with all my heart. It's amazing that this is my job, honestly. And the thought of leaving it breaks my heart because I have a friend who just left his church in Seattle. And I'm seeing how he's just devastated by that, deeply devastated by it. And I look at him and I'm just like, I don't ever want to be in that place where you are. But at the end of the day, as much as I love this church, I'm called to love God more. And if you would have ever told me to leave, as much as I don't want to, I will have to. Because not my will be done, God. May your will be done in my life. Thank you. On earth as it is in heaven. So will you lay down your idols today? Will you go to God and say, God, not my will be done, but may your will be done. And when you give your lives to the Lord in that way and accept to be a kingdom builder, we're going to worship in just a little while. And I asked Rich if it could be a little bit longer today so that we can really enter into worshiping God today. So he said he would be able to do that. Will you worship God so that you can lay down your idols and be his kingdom builder, surrendering yourself to God's will and not your own? Let's pray. I want you to identify your idols, but don't lay it down now because you're going to lay it down when you worship. But identify it. Whatever those might be. Some of us, our idols could be security. You long for security in your life. And I get it. Security is good. But like a wildfire, it's horrible when it's out of control when all you want is security as opposed to faith. There is very little faith found in security. Whatever it might be, success, whatever it might be. God, we come to you as a church. Thank you for examples like Stephen. We didn't struggle with idolatry. He knew how important you were, Lord. So much so that he spoke against the Sanhedrin council and to the Jewish leaders, to these Jewish men of faith, and he said, the Mosaic laws are not relevant anymore. The temple is no longer the only place where God's presence dwells because of Jesus Christ. He knew, Lord, that Christianity had to be different from, from Judaism. He knew it because you exist everywhere. And so God, help us as the people of God to be like Stephen, to hold you, Lord Jesus, as the most precious commodity, anything, the most important thing, the most important relationship we have in our lives today. And as we do that, God, I pray that we would truly be a kingdom builder. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Some next steps I want you to take. Can you please flip over your communication card? The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you haven't done that, check it off if you want to. And go to the next table, one of our... Uh, pastors will be there and they'd love to kind of give you a new believers packet or if you'd like to come up for prayer afterwards you can do that too third I will invite my friends and family to Metro's Christmas service next Sunday next Sunday is our Christmas service on the 23rd 
Sunita and I are going to be uh, co-teaching. We're going to be doing the tag team preaching again. Uh, but I encourage you to invite your friends and family. They, they will come for Christmas service. I guarantee you. Easter and Christmas, they'll come. <laughs> invite them if they don't go to church. And maybe that would be the day where they give their lives to Christ. And you can be a kingdom builder because you're doing something very special. We, we're going to have an amazing time of worship, the choir. It's going to be awesome. So please invite your friends and family. Uh, third, I'm going to sign up to serve in a ministry at Metro that you would really be active at looking. If you look at the right side of your comm card, there's a list of ministries you can be a part of. Go to our website, contact any of us, contact me. If you want help, happy to help you with that, okay? So make sure you check that off and start building God's kingdom by serving this church. Fourth, I will diligently pray for Metro's future home this week. I need you to pray. Can we come together and pray for our future home? Because without prayer, this thing is not going to happen. Really, it's not. So we need your prayers, okay? Uh, fifth, I will give to the Christmas offering. You saw what God is doing in Zamele. Tens and thousands of lives are being impacted every year because of what Zamele is doing. We play such a vital role with that. Our Metro Community Center, Sunita is going to come up and share about that in a few, few weeks. The missionaries that we support, those are the three things that this money is going into. I want to encourage you this Christmas season, be a kingdom builder and give generously to the Christmas offering. All right? January 6th is Connections Dinner. It's not on here, but if you want to learn more about Metro, I'd love to invite you to my home on January 6th. And uh, you can learn a little bit about Metro Community Church. If you're interested, feel free to just email me. Uh, I think my email, well, it's not up there, but you can find it on the website uh, or even in the bulletin. 